Great. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Hopes and Solutions Committee, a subcommittee of the Ventura City Council. It's great to see all your faces. It's now 3.03, and I call this meeting to order. And clerk, will you please call roll? Here. Uh, Here. Here. Okay. Th thank you. We're all present. Um, next up is public comments. Is there any uh, public comments cards in yet for something that's not ag agendized? Yes, Chair Halter, we have we have three public. Is this? I don't think. You have four. Can you hear me through the microphone? I, I don't think so. It says it's you on. are on, though. Test, test. Yeah. I'm going to borrow this for a moment. Okay. Thank you. We have four speakers. If, if we could have uh, quiet in the audience, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. We have four speakers. Uh, first is Judy Alexander. Okay, great. Judy, please come up to the podium and welcome. Good afternoon. And I'm speaking for VSSTF, the Ventura Social Service Task Force. And what I'm speaking to um, very specifically is we are aware of the increased demands that are being made on the housing and homeless team and the amount of work that's being required. And we think it's all necessary, and we want it, and we have more. But what we're asking for is that there be enough funding and staffing to meet that need. So if we're going to address the housing element, if we're going to address the gap needs, there has to be budgeted, as we've said before, sufficient funds to cover staffing and the costs of meeting those needs. So we are asking that you fund and staff accordingly. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you again for being here. Thanks, Judy. Next, we have Cappy Paulson. Okay. Happy. Welcome. Hello, everyone. This thing doesn't like to stay up. Um, I'm Cappy Paulson, and what I want to address is safe sleep. Again. Um, Actually, it's disingenuous for the city to claim we have a safe sleep program. Frankly, we have one person of 10, and that person has been there uh, maybe six months. They're the only person. We can't claim we have a safe sleep program with only one person. And what the main reason is the barrier to getting in, the thing about the license, the, license, the, I, the registration, and the insurance has to be in Ventura only, not the Ventura Oxnard Plain, not the Santa Clarita Valley, Ox Ventura only, and that is just not fair. And it's not, we can't claim that we have a program. So, um, so what I'd like to re recommend is, uh, I think, I understand why they did it, because they, the council, the last council, or maybe two before, was worried about they will come if we have that they. Um, anyway, um, so I want to get it, the discussion on the December agenda for expanding because it's, we've talked about it over and over again and it hasn't happened. Thanks. Great, thank you. 
Next, we have Irene Johnson. Hey. My name is Irene, and uh, I've been coming to these meetings to advocate for the homeless. You know, I was in the river bottom myself, and and I saw that. Just now I realized, or somebody told me that the tough sheds are donated, and I saw them cutting them in half, you know, and I got like really tripped out over that because people could have lived in those. I don't feel like you guys are doing any kind of hope or solution thing, you know. I, we, we would discuss about how we're going to help people, you know, um, because they need, you know, the people down there, they need help. I still talk to them because I was homeless with them for a long time, and they don't, I mean, I got more gusto than they do to come up here and talk to you guys, you know. I don't even know what I'm doing sometimes, you know. I just come because I want to make sure that, you know, the homeless people in Ventura are treated right because they're, they're not criminal. Well, some of them are criminals, but you can't look at them like that all the time. There's people, they didn't go down there to use drugs. They became homeless and ended up in the river bottom and started using drugs. There's not one person, I think, in this world that is, well, maybe, you know, that has lived and outside and not gotten high, you know? So I'm just like, that's all for me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. We have no, no more speakers. No further speakers? Okay, great. Um, moving on, to, we have uh, five formal items today on our agenda. The first is approving the minutes. And uh, uh, Clerk, do we have any uh, public comments on the minutes? No public comments. Thank you. Is there a motion to approve the minutes? I move to approve. I read them. They look good to me. Okay. Thank you. I, I can second, even though I was absent. I read them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we have a motion and a second. And uh, uh, let's see. Take roll call, please. Chair Halter? Yes. Councilmember Campos? Yes. Councilmember Duran? I, I can vote on that. Yeah. No, not really. Um, since you weren't here, you shouldn't, but... Um, yeah, I won't vote. You, you can, say, can Can you do the second then? He can do the second yeah, if you'd like. You can do the second, yeah. Or you. Change it to me okay. as the okay. second. That would be fine. Okay. I'm not quite sure what protocol is on that, to be honest. Okay. Sometimes, uh, in some of the committees I've been on, is uh, if you read the minutes and they look correct, um, they allow you to vote on them. That's like the Regional Sanitation District and some of the committees I'm on, they allow you to do that. But uh, whatever is- correct, uh, Council Member Halter. You can vote on the minutes if you were, even if you weren't. So if you've watched the meeting or, or um, uh, saw it, that you can vote on it. You don't have to abstain. Got it, okay, thank you. Thank you, Ms. Ayer. Okay. okay. All right, so the minutes are approved. And then next up, is formal item number two is the discussion of the 2023 fell weather uh, shelter program and we have a report from staff leona i'll turn it over to you okay yes um good afternoon everyone so we are bringing forth the 2023-2024 foul weather shelter program again um, for consideration 
Um, we did want to provide the subcommittee and the community members with some background on the history of the Foul Weather Shelter Program, as well as our, partnership, our pending partnership with the city of Oxnard again, um, in order to, to have successfully have a partnership to ensure that we're serving an adequate number of individuals, not only in the city of Ventura, but also in the city of Oxnard. So we have proposed three potential recommendations for the, the subcommittee's consideration. The first uh, recommendation is to reconsider the direction from last meeting regarding the foul weather shelter program and change the activation requirements to 40 degrees and below or half an inch of rain or more, which is our staff recommendation. Or you have the option to reconsider the direction from last meeting regarding the foul weather shelter program and change the activation requirements to 45 degrees and below or a quarter inch of rain or more, which aligns with last season and recommend to city council to allocate an additional $25,000 for funding. And then the third option would be to continue with the direction from last month's meeting regarding the program and change the activation requirements to 45 degrees and below, a quarter inch of rain or more, and or with a 15 mile per hour windshield projected overnight. And our recommendation for that one also includes allocation of additional $60,000 in funding for motel vouchers, program administration, security and transportation, as well as an additional $25,000 for seasonal temporary staffing to manage the program. Okay. Uh, if I may add, uh, Netta Zayer, Interim Community Development Director, um, joining Leona today to talk a little bit more about this background. Um, so we, we tried the um, changes in the um, amount of rainfall and amount of um, temperature last season to see if there was a need or, or a desire and what that would look like through a foul weather season and uh, the amount of staffing resources that would be needed. Um, as provided in the last staff report as well as this one, that was a substantial increase in activating the foul weather shelter from the year previously, uh, not only for city staffing and the county resources we also partner with, but also from our nonprofit organizations, um, one of whom Councilmember uh, Duran is also a part of in activating that. We didn't see the levels of increased demand on those evenings that we did have the reduced temperatures and reduced rainfalls in the way that we did on the um, more uh, the 45, the 45 to 40 degree versus the 40 degree or the quarter to a half inch of rain that we did before. Our thought process here was if we continued in what we had in previous years at the 40 degree temperature and the half inch of rain to also uh, mirror that which Oxnard is doing as they're have council direction now to activate their fall weather shelter at the same time, we could be more cohesive across the county and you know, as, as groups talk and know what, what days and what times and what temperatures things are gonna be activated, that would be more consistent. It would also give us the ability to manage this program uh, more effectively as we move in. If, if we do wanna continue with the increase in temperature or 
decrease in temperature or de decrease in rainfall or add the wind chill, um, that would be something that right now our housing services division wouldn't be able to manage staffing wise in addition to all of the other items that we are managing. Um, the amount of staff resources and time that would be ne needed is beyond what we currently have in staffing capacity. I hear the public comment to add staffing, additional staffing resources, which would be great and I will never turn away more staffing. But the I don't think we would be able to to meet that request in this season and we would need either some additional funding to hire temporary staffing or um, set a threshold that is at a level that we can manage for this season so we'd be uh, that's why we re-agendize this so we could have a conversation if we were to select a threshold um, lower than what we've done we would need a recommendation from the hopes subcommittee to council and ask for that additional funding and staffing resources to be able to address that need in this upcoming season Okay. Great. Thank you, Ms. Sayer. Uh, is there any public comments on this item? We have one public comment on this item. Judy Alexander. Thank you for additional information, staff. Appreciated. And I want to thank the council, the three of you, for the deliberation last month. Much appreciated. We have a big decision to make. When do people matter more than money? When do we say that a person is more valuable? How cold does it have to be? How wet does it have to be for somebody to get out of the rain? None of us want to be in a quarter inch of rain, let alone a half inch of rain. When it is 40 degrees, we're freezing, we have our heaters on, we are surrounded with our blankets. I'm not in a wet sleeping bag on a wet street in a wet corner. Sometime we need to say that we want to care for the maximum number of people for the maximum period of time that we can with the maximum amount of resources that can be allocated. People need to matter. And even with the change that was discussed last week, last month, we will still be turning away people. We will still have hundreds of people on the street. We can and must do better, and if that means hiring a part-time seasonal staff person, then let us do it. If that means providing additional support to the river community, which does a phenomenal job, then let's do it. But sometime, we need to think of our priorities. Thank you. Great, thank you. No more speakers. No other speakers. With that, I'll open up to my colleagues for Deliberation. Um, Go ahead, uh, Councilmember Campos. So, recalling the discussion from last month, and considering my own experience with the the cold and rain, it, it's hard in a wheelchair. I'm seeing more and more people who are unsheltered on our streets, who are in wheelchairs or otherwise with debilitating medical conditions. And that was part of why I, I fought hard for maintaining the higher temperature and less amount of rain. Um, I recognize you've added a wind chill on this. Does that go along with the temperature or does that add into the rain or kind of both? 
So it depends on the situation. So for example, there were several instances last season where we only activated solely based on the weather or solely based on the rain. So if it's the subcommittee's decision to utilize the activation requirements of 45 degrees and below, according to rain or more, or the 15 mile, miles per hour wind chill, it would either be one or those activation requirements, all of the above, or a combination of thereof. Okay, thank you for that clarity. Um, for me, the more we can do, the better, especially at this time. There are a lot of people in our city who don't want us to shelter the homeless at all. They don't want to do outreach. They want to use rhetoric that attempts to dehumanize them. And I think it behooves the city to stand up and speak on behalf of people who have less than us. So my personal recommendation is continue with the direction and allocate an additional 60,000 of funding and the additional 25 for a staff person. I think it's better for us to bring the most we can ask to council and then if there's pushback, we still have a fall place. Thank you. Okay, great, thanks. And Mr. Durant? Thank you, thank you so much. And, and uh, being being the um, the person who's actually been involved in running the shelter for the last three years, there's quite a few things I'd like to share today. And I'm sorry I missed last month. I I was ill, and I don't normally get sick, and I was uh, sad that I couldn't be here. But I don't think we we ever really put money before people. I think the reason that we do what we do is because we care about people. Um, I think realistically, when you look at the entire picture, I mean, there's a lot of great things happening with with the things that we are doing. Could we do more? Everybody could do more. Obviously, everybody could do more. But I just want to I want to talk about a little bit about the temperature um, and the and the rain because the, it was like that the first couple of years until we changed last year and we changed the to 45 degrees and we changed a quarter of an inch of rain. Well, I can tell you, last year we activated the shelter 25 nights last year. And of those 25 nights that we activated the shelter, when the, when the temperature was 45 degrees, 40, 44 degrees, 43 degrees in those areas, I mean, there were some nights that we only had 13 people show up. There was 12 people that showed up. I remember, I, I have my book right here. One night we only had four people show up. And so it wasn't like there was this big demand, especially when the temperature isn't that cold. When you hit 40 degrees, um, and even above 40 degrees, if people came by and they and they wanted a warm pack, we'd give them sleeping bags and blankets and everything they needed to keep warm. So I, I wanted to, to just set, to let you know that the shelter wasn't activated. It was activated, but we weren't using all the rooms. And I can I can also show you that this was originally set up so people wouldn't die on the street. So we had those that were 65 and older, the most vulnerable. This is why this was originally set up. But because we have an agreement with Motel 6, as an example, and we ask for 20 rooms, we want to make sure we utilize those 20 rooms because we want to be able to have 20 rooms every time we activate. Well, I can I can tell you that there were nights that we had to call Motel 6 and say, I'm so sorry, but we only have six rooms that we need tonight. And that's a little disappointing to them. So what we would do is we would do the best that we could to make sure that we got 
we filled those rooms up. So here we have people that are supposed to be taken care of that are 65 and older, and we took care of them, and then we dropped down to, to 60, and then to 58, and then to 55. And so, so eventually we ended up with people that were, you know, 30, 20 in the rooms. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, over the last three years, let me, let me share this before I say that. We have the arch that, that is all year round. We have Salvation Army. We have the Oxnard Rescue Mission. And these shelters are open all year long. And then now we come to the winter, and all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're talking about housing people in, in the motels that could be sheltered all year long, could be sheltered all year long, and for whatever reason they choose not to. That's up to them. That's up to them. But the reason that this was created was for the most vulnerable. Now, we end up filling the motel rooms up, and I can tell you, over the last three years, we have this list called the, um, you, you, I don't want to say it, the do not return list. And that's based on if we have very simple rules. Don't bring any other people in your room. Don't do drugs in your room. We have very simple rules. Unfortunately, we have almost 150 people of all the rooms we've given out that actually were doing drugs in the room, sneaking other people in the room. And so I say that to you because they weren't necessarily the most vulnerable, but because we had extra rooms, we gave them the rooms, and then now they're on this list because they wanted to use the room to party and have a great time. Now, there's congregate living right now that people don't necessarily want. But if you give them a motel room, they'll want to take that because it's their own room. So that's why I'm saying all year long they have an opportunity to go to one of our shelters, but now it's the wintertime. Should we care for, for, absolutely, I'm not saying we shouldn't care for people, but I'm saying let's look at the big picture. And I think the bigger picture is like we have Oxnard on our side. We have Oxnard saying, we're ready to do this. And what a great collaboration if we have the same parameters, then people aren't from Oxnard aren't going to come to Ventura. They're going to be in Oxnard. They're going to stay in Oxnard. But as soon as we drop our parameters, they're going to go, well, Ventura's open. Let's take everybody to Ventura. Man, this is, and Leona, thank you for meeting with Oxnard because this is the beginning of something huge. When this works this year, collaborating with Oxnard, imagine bringing Camarillo on board, bringing Ojai on board, bringing the other cities that are going, oh, it does work, and everybody sets the same parameters, and now we're all working together as a county? That's the dream. And, and all of us could run these smaller shelters because we would be able to house and take care of everybody. So I don't think more resource, resources is the answer. I think, um, I think making sure that we steward well what we have and stick to the program that what we had to help those people that are the most vulnerable, and of course, if we have extra rooms left over, then, then they're going to be used for, uh, for the people that need them. But um, I will tell you, we're not putting money before people, but we're, we need to steward our money well. And so when only four or 13 people show up, we, we're, 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 we're not utilizing our money properly. So uh, I, would, I would actually make a motion to accept staff's recommendation um, uh, number one, the, the staff recommendation to keep the parameters at a half inch of rain, 40 degrees uh, or below, and, and continue uh, that way. That, that's, that's my recommendation. Yes, sir, a second. Uh, I have a couple questions, unless you have a second. 
No, I want to okay. speak to that. Um, I want uh, is is that what Oxnard's requirements are? Is forty degrees? Um, so, so basically, Oxnard's requirements as of right now are forty degrees and below, and an inch of rain or more. Um, what they have discussed with the city of Ventura is that they are open to uh, revising the, the rain requirement to dropping it to align with ours, but as of right now, it's four degrees or below or an inch of rain or more. And just to clarify, to align with ours in the sense of a half inch. Yes. And, um, and there's no uh, wind discussion, because I think I brought that up last time. No. The wind makes it seem a lot colder than, than that. Um, is there, I don't see a second for that. No second? Not at this point. Okay. Um, I'd like to know uh, the 60,000 under option three, uh, that's something we have to go back to uh, council for, is that correct? Uh, yes, we would need council approval and to find the, the additional funding out of the budget to do to do that. Like the Community Development Department did not budget for um, these increased thresholds or needing the additional staffing or the, the $85,000. So we would need to find that in the budget. And the nights that we were, uh, let's see, above 40 degrees, did we house people last year in this uh, uh, warming shelter uh, from uh, if that temperature was above 40 degrees or was 40 degrees the number last year? Well, for two years it was 40 degrees. Last year the number was 45. Yep. But we had, um, when, it's, when it's 45 degrees, it's hit or miss. And you're, you know, like I said, we had like, we didn't fill up all of our rooms for several of the nights mm -hmm. because the, the weather wasn't as foul as uh, for people to, to want to go inside. And when we do get people, uh, and it's not 40 degrees outside, uh, do we just send them away? Or is there another option that we can give them the voucher of some type? No, if there's, if uh, anybody who shows up, and, and let's say they're not, um, we fill up all the rooms, which we, we normally don't do that till the very end, and we bring um, the younger population in. But nobody gets turned away without um, a warm pack, which is a sleeping bag, a blanket, hand warmers, a beanie, a scarf, a really nice bag. They, they're, they're going to be warm. Like a, you're going to be warm if you leave our place and you don't get a room. You're going to be, you're going to be warm. Mm -hmm, the warm pack. Okay. Uh, they just have to find a place that's out of the rain, right? Which most of them do. Okay. Yeah, most of them do have a have a place that they go to. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Could could I just mention? Um, anecdotal evidence that came to me not through unsheltered people but through volunteers was that at the beginning more people were showing up but as time went on after many rejections for rooms or the rain starting at noon not at 5 p.m. when you're opening people did not show up it wasn't just that they didn't want the service or that they had been on put onto the list. It's because our activation at a specific time doesn't always coincide with the arrival of the rain or the cold. And last year, I personally paid for many people to wash and dry sleeping bags 
at different laundromats on the avenue because whatever they left you with, we're soaking wet in an hour. So I think there's more to think through why people don't show up on certain days. You know, if, if we have all the weather recorded, you know, maybe this year we can keep a list like that, Jim. But I really feel that there's a lot of people who want this shelter who feel hopeless to get it. That's why I would like to increase the option. So, so we're losing sight of the fact that this is for the most vulnerable. And, I, and, and what you're saying is that there's, there's um, you're saying people won't come back. Well, the, the first night we set the parameters, we let people know it's for 65 and older um, with, or with health conditions. And if, if for some reason, uh, if you want to stay in line, you're welcome to stay in line. And if we have rooms available, you can get those rooms. And uh, if not, you're welcome to take a warm pack and a hot meal. And I can tell you, I can tell you that there are a lot of people that didn't want to stay in line. And there's all, there was also quite a few people that be, when they found out that they couldn't leave the room uh, or they could, couldn't bring people over, they chose to, okay, let me just have a warm pack and a meal. So unless you're, unless you're having those conversations, you may not have all the information, but I, I see that. I see that. Okay. Let me just say one more thing, and then we can move forward. I think that if you are homeless, no matter what your age, you are the most vulnerable. Thank you for saying that. If you, you understand that this was set up originally so people would not die on the street. So we're, we're talking about people that are, that are elderly. We're, we're talking about, I'm not, we're not talking about those that are in their 20s, 30s that actually are in pretty good health. So my, my thing is we originally set it up so people would, would, be, would not die on the streets. And that's, that was, that's the parameters that were set. I won't belabor the point, but people do die on the streets much younger than 40. Well, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily because of the weather, though. That's, we're talking about foul weather. Okay. A couple comments, then, is um, if we have to then go back to city council and ask for this $60,000 to do what we were proposing last time to do, which I'm willing to do, um, but I'm thinking, I also want to make sure that we're being prudent with, um, you know, ideally, everybody has a home. Everybody's off the street. Everybody doesn't have to worry about whether it's too hot or too cold or too wet. Um, uh, I'm thinking to balance that, because it looks like we could do option two, which is 45 degrees in a quarter inch, allocate 25,000 uh, weather shelter program. Um, and that, of course, there'd be more days in the winter that meet that th threshold. So you're saying we may run out of money earlier is what would probably happen, right? Fiona? Um, so based on the amount that was allocated through our community development block grant of a $25,000 plus the remaining leftover funding from last season that we did not utilize, we have about $60,000 as of right now in funding. 
Um, so if you would utilize option B or option two, we would just need um, we would just need additional funding for temporary seasonal staffing because we we anticipate that we will have enough funding um, to be able to cover from December 1st of this year through March 31st of next year. However, we do monitor this, the, the progress and the expenditures on a monthly basis to ensure that we're not gonna run out of funding and there's a, a pending activation that we cannot pay for. Okay. We're basing it off this past season. Uh, as we all know, weather can be unpredictable. So it would be, uh, if, if there's more nights than the 25 times activated, say we, that was actually double this season and it was more like 50, we would, need, we would need to come back for additional allocation. We're just basing it off last year's um, numbers that we would have enough funding, but that, that could be different. I, I would think that uh, trying to get as many people off the street that need to be off the street uh, uh, during severe weather events and any rain is considered a severe weather event for California, um, is, uh, is a good thing. But I also want to make sure that we're prudent on how we use uh, taxpayers' dollars. And so I'm wondering if this is, what if it was, um, if we modify slightly uh, and do um, 45 degrees with a half an inch of rain? Um, that's one thought. The other thought I have is something like 40 degrees and a quarter inch rain. Um, I, I really think that we have a very <laughs> easy way to identify the wind speed. I think wind has a huge component, adds a huge component, I think, to people's ability to handle the cold. So if we, I don't know, where do we measure our temperature in our so we utilize a number of different applications, but the one that we typically utilize as the most accurate and gives us hour by hour information is AccuWeather. AccuWeather, okay. Uh, AccuWeather, so is that at City Hall that they get their temperature and their wind speeds and things like that? So it, it basically, it's a little, it's a little ironic because um, we, we were under the initial impression that it would be directly behind City Hall that they would utilize, but when they do a pin drop, it can be a little bit further into downtown, which is why we utilize about three of the five applications. So we basically take that and take the average, so whatever is the highest number is what, the, what we utilize to basically determine our activation. Okay. Um, so if it was, uh, that one last thought is that if it was, 40 degrees and a quarter inch of rain and, uh, or 45 degrees with more than 15 mile an hour uh, winds. Would that be a doable solution? Can you repeat that, um, Chair Halter? If it's uh, 40 degrees um, and a quarter of an inch of rain, activate. Or if it's, um, and or, if it's 45 degrees and a quarter inch of rain and um, wind speeds are greater than 15 miles an hour. So that would still be option three. We would need the additional funding. The wind chill is not something we have managed no. before, and our belief is that would be significantly more activation this year. May I? Uh, yes. Councilman. If I may make a recommendation, Councilmember Halter. Um, so 
we've done this already in the past. If things don't look, uh, if things don't look like they're gonna, for example, we, we've, there's been days that the rain was, last year was a quarter of an inch of rain, but it was closer to, it was gonna, or a quarter of an inch of rain last year. And, um, and it wasn't quite a quarter of an inch, it was, it was like a tenth, it was a tenth of an inch of rain. And we would monitor that and we'd look and we'd go, you know what? And, and we'd have conversations. It's, 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 even though it's not a quarter of an inch of rain, it's raining kind of all day at a tenth of an inch of rain. Yeah. And so we would make a decision and say, well, based on it raining all day, it would make sense to activate it even though we didn't hit that parameter. So my recommendation would be, uh, recommendation number one, absolutely mandatory you open it, you know, at below 40 degrees in a, in a quarter, of an, quarter of an inch of rain, but giving us the ability to say, oh, you know what, it's, it, we're gonna, it's gonna be 42 degrees, but it's gonna be super windy, so why don't we, why don't we activate that? Because we, we want what's best for, we don't want those people. So if, we, if you say for sure you have to open it at a quarter in 40, but, but giving, giving us the opportunity to say, you know what, it looks like it's gonna rain at, at a tenth all day long and allowing us to just go ahead and open that anyway, but for sure opening up at 40 and a quarter. Does that have to be written in policy, or do is that just leeway we could give city staff? Well, I think the the minimum threshold here, right? This right. is establishing the minimum threshold of four degrees and forty degrees and a half inch would be the minimum threshold. You know, we always have the flexibility to look at if if the experience that day is you know we've got like tsunami winds, right? That we can we can look at that and activating it. But we do want a minimum threshold in which we are opening, so it's clear to us in the community when that is is going to be. Um, and then the experience of someone between 40 to 45 degrees that we saw last season was maybe a person on uh, outside isn't feeling the the temperature change as severely in that time. That's why they weren't coming as frequently um, when we were activating at that higher threshold at 45 degrees. So um, it's setting a, a minimum threshold that is gonna serve as much of the population as possible, the most vulnerable population as possible as they are experiencing it outside. Because I can I can tell you that we've we activated it um, when it was the, the parameters weren't exactly there, but but because people needed, we knew we knew like we knew it was going to be, and and we added extra days too. So there might have been an op, there might have been a time where, it, and there was where we activated it one night, and then we realized that gosh, the next day's beautiful, yeah. But at night, at, at one in the morning, it's going to rain again, and so do we do we kick them out and then bring them back the next day to recheck in? No. We keep them there and they can have a beautiful day at the motel and because it's going to pour that night yeah. so we had the flexibility to do that and and we did okay. so so my recommendation yeah. would still be 40 degrees minimum half inch of rain minimum with the opportunity to be flexible in that and and activate it if as needed okay to Councilmember Duran's point, we did activate 25 times, but that turned out to be 45 days right. for that very reason, that some days it turned into multiple days given how the weather was um, reacting the next day. 
So it did end up being 45 days where we are having staff yep. and resources um, for the foul weather shelter. Um, I like having the flexibility to open it. I mean, this is the minimum requirements. Mm -hmm. So um, I am curious how much the temperature uh, overrides how much rain is predicted. So I'm tempted to say 40 degrees and one quarter inch of rain is a minimum standard. Uh, with flexibility beyond that. I just want to add one clarifying thought. It's not both requirements. So, for example, in the month of December of 2022, our initial activations that we that took place between December 1st and December 10th were solely based off temperature. So they were based off the yeah. fact that it was between, you know, 45 degrees and lower. So it's not, it has to be both requirements, it's either or. So if it's 45 degrees and below, we activated. If it was 50 degrees, but there was a quarter inch or, uh, a quarter inch of rain or more, we still activate it. So it's, it's or, it's either, it's and or or, yes. Okay. So the half, so the, the half inch is good because it still gives us the flexibility if we choose if, if it's if we look and it's going to be raining up and down the entire day and it's not quite a half an inch of rain we we have that option to say we we need to activate it because people are going to be wet all day and they need to be inside okay um and um i was going to say uh in we let's see in the past uh, we typically didn't see people showing up. Oh, the question was really is if we're in, uh, in alignment with Oxnard, uh, how do we get the word out that we opened, that we opened up the warm shelter? Yes, yeah, so what happens, so we, so essentially what we do, we monitor the weather continuously 48 hours in advance. So once we have made the determination that the projected weather is gonna meet these thresholds, we then notify all of our nonprofit partners. So basically those nonprofit partners, including the county, are the ones that are, that are basically boots on the ground that are interfacing with individuals and families experiencing unsheltered homelessness. Um, we notify, you know, all the city departments are notified as well. We announced it on our social media accounts. And then also for individuals that are residing in the river bottom, um, the patrol task force actually goes into the river bottom and notifies all of those occupants as well, pretty much letting them know the city is activating the foul weather shelter, goes to the River Community Church, and that's how the activation and notification takes place. And when you have Oxnard, that's going to be with the same parameters. How awesome is that going to be where they're going to be safe? Yeah. Those people that are closer to Oxnard or living in Oxnard can go there versus Ventura. Okay. So with that, a 40 degrees and a half an inch of rain uh, is a minimum standard mm -hmm. with giving staff flexibility uh, regarding on temp looking at temperature, amount of rain, and uh, uh, wind speed mm -hmm. um, to open at any time uh, above that but that's the minimum that we're open. We could actually open sooner given more severe conditions because of those, those combination parameters. Mm -hmm. I would be able to second that. May I, may I ask that we add at least option B? You know, being concerned about spending $25,000 in a year is ludicrous compared with some of the other things we spend taxpayer money on. If I may ask, um, if we run out of the money that we have allocated for this year, we can always come back and request more money if we activate, uh, we, we don't have to set this up now, we can always come back and ask for more, correct? Correct. Yeah, because it, we'll, we'll, we can see what we have right now 
and so we don't if we keep the if we keep it where it's at as uh, with the second then we can always come back and ask for more if we need it okay and that's what we did last year too i believe we asked for more money so i just want to clarify if we are going to go with the staff recommendation, the first bullet point, a 40 degrees and a half inch of rain, which is what we did in subsequent years, except the last year where we did the trial of 45 and a quarter, we would not need additional resources. If we, for some reason, ran out of the, the funding we have for the motel vouchers and program administration security transportation, we could get more funding for that. For the 45 degrees and a quarter inch of rain, we know that we will need additional staff resourcing to be able to do that. And there is the possibility we would need more program, programmatic re, uh, funding, which we can ask for um, later on. We just want to be clear right now before we enter into the season where we're activating what our minimum threshold is. And if we're going to set that minimum threshold, staff is trying to be prudent and not being caught off guard and not having enough funding or staffing resources to be able to do that. Okay. okay. I reluctantly support that. I just, I'm reluctant in standpoint that the thought of turning anybody away because they can't withstand the weather conditions is appalling to me. I, I just, but I, honestly, I'm, I'm not a service provider, so I take a lot of what I've been told and what I've been hearing uh, and from staff uh, very seriously. And I, I believe if we go with that and really use um, good judgment, as I'm, I'm sure we have in the past, to open sooner if we need to. Um, we start seeing people coming and hoping that the shelter's open. I'm hoping that we will open it up uh, to them. But I understand uh, we don't want to open up and then not have anybody show and then start lose our relationships with the places that we put people. That's the concern I would have. So. And our goal is to coordinate with Oxnard and really set up a system that's beyond just Ventura and, and Oxnard. And as Councilmember Duran said, that this could take hold in all of the other surrounding communities. And we have a network of communication that people um, outside experiencing homelessness know where they can go, know what the thresholds are, and that we try to provide a consistency there um, and collaborate together. So in this season, we're going to work extremely hard to coordinate. And the goal is that we're activating the same days Oxnard is activating. We're boots on the ground communicating that out and making sure we're, we're really grabbing a hold of our vulnerable population and sheltering them. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it. Because I, I will tell you as well that we, we had quite a few people from Oxnard come to Ventura to stay in the shelter. So this is going to be wonderful for them to have their own shelter. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. With that, if there's no other comments or uh, questions from my uh, colleagues, uh, uh, Madam Clerk, please take the roll. Could you clarify now what we're voting on? And who the first and second on those motions are? Option one. Only. Option one with the flexibility. Could you say that again? It would be option one. I only, the only thing I was hoping to add to it is what we've stated, and I think it's already been understood, is that staff has discretion. Uh, to, this is a minimum standard, so if we look at wind, wind speed, temperature, and threat of rain, or severity of rain be going on all day long, that those things will matter in making the determination to open up the, the shelter sooner. Okay. 
So option one, the staff recommendation with, with staff making the determination to, um, to do it, at a, to modify that if needed. Yes. Okay. Correct. Okay. And the, the motion maker was Council Member Duran. And I was the second. Second was Chair Halter. Okay. Thank you. Chair Halter? Yes. Council Member Campos? No. Council Member Duran? Yes. And the motion carries. Thank you. Um, let's see, next item is item number three. Uh, let's see, request program updates and request program updates and 2024 program initiatives and projects. And we have a report from staff. Uh, Leona. I'll, I'll jump in here. I'm crashing the party today. I apologize. Um, we just wanted to come uh, and give an update to the subcommittee about what housing services will be working on in 2024. Um, as you may know, we did receive certification from um, the Housing Community Development Department of the State on our housing element, um, which means for us it's go time in terms of housing element implementation. Uh, the housing element did identify uh, many programs that um, are to be done over the next uh, what's left of the um, cycle period. We're already well into the start, which was 2021. Um, and so we wanted to identify the programs that we are going to be working on in 2024, um, really in a hopes that uh, Council understands what the division's going to be working on and the fast nature in, and the multiple items that are going to be juggled at the same time. We also wanted to... Uh, make that clearly known so that if there is additional things beyond the program items that we are working on, uh, beyond the program items we are working on and the, the everyday activities that the division already manages, that we allow um, for, we are clear in the priorities of what gets paused or um, uh, deferred in in the work program so that other items could be uh, accommodated. So we just wanted to be clear as we roll into the 2024 season with these hopes and solutions meetings that if there are requests for items for staff to work on, that we also couple that with a conversation of here are the initiatives we are currently working on and what would you like us to pause or reprioritize to work on those things. We absolutely want to accommodate the needs, but we want to make sure that we're being clear on if there are going to be delays on other items. Um, the housing element program items are a bit more challenging to pause as they do have the state that is monitoring us to make sure that we are accomplishing them in the time periods that we have indicated that we are and have put in the housing element. So um, with that, I didn't, we didn't want to go specific item by item on the whole work plan, if, but if you have questions about any of the items, we're happy to address it. And there was one item from the request from the last meeting that we weren't able to um, complete by this meeting. We, we did have to pause other items to do some of these reports. And so if there's still a desire to do the workflow um, item that uh, we, that if we could get clarity from the committee to prioritize working on that and then identify what you'd like us to maybe delay working on so that we can finish that workflow item. We apologize, we, we tried to complete that item but um, did run out of time. Uh, from the last meeting. So that's um, the update and we're available to answer any questions. 
Um, Madam Clerk, are there any uh, uh, public speakers on this item? I have no cards on this item. Okay. Are there any questions or comments from my colleagues? Will you be able to give us uh, a list when we're having meetings of just some some options or or um, information about what space might be available for you at certain times of the year, maybe S quarterly or so. Um, yes, the uh, last year um, we developed for goal setting kind of a 20, uh, 2023 work plan, kind of quarter by quarter of what each division was working on. We can give a general idea. Most of these items are long range items. They take many months to work on. Um, and so it's, it's going to take about a quarter or sometimes half a year to a year to accomplish some of these. So if um, it's shifted, it's not like this won't be done by next month. It's going to delay a whole timeline. Um, most of the programs are going to take several months to a year to accomplish. Thank you, Ms. Sarah. Okay. Councilmember Duran, no comments? Okay. Uh, this is a receive and file. So do we need a motion for that? You don't. Okay, great. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Okay, so item number four is date change for December 2023 meeting and 2024 calendar discussion. And that is, uh, Leona, are you leading off on that one? So there was two items on this, one in for scheduling conflicts in December um, to look at alternate dates for the Hopes and Solutions subcommittee to meet in December, given um, the committee's schedule. Um, and then a second portion to this item is we wanted to pose a option for the committee's consideration about adjusting um, the meetings for the 2024 calendar. Uh, as we mentioned in the, the previous item, many of the programs and items that Housing Services is going to be working on um, next year and, and really for the next several years are long-range items. They are going to take many months to a year to accomplish. So the thought process, and there will be key junctures in those uh, programs and items where we would need um, the subcommittee's uh, feedback to review materials, things of that nature. We, just, we don't believe that's going to be on a monthly basis and that we, weren't, we wouldn't be able to make significant process, progress in one month on some of those items. So the, the uh, option that we were posing to best utilize this meeting and the subcommittee's time was to make these meetings quarterly and provide a, a really comprehensive update on some of these items and allow enough time between those meetings that we've made more significant progress on uh, the items to provide a more comprehensive update and uh, for the, this committee to weigh in on some more sub substantive information. And so the thought was if we shifted this to a quarterly meeting, then we could provide program updates on all of these large housing element program items and such, foul weather shelter, whatever the committee would want an update on at, at more key juncture points. And so we were, we were bringing this request or this consideration before the committee 
also, we also understand that council is considering um, with the adoption of the 2024 calendar, maybe shifting the date of the council meeting from Monday to an alternate day of the week. If that were to happen to discuss with this committee, would you also then like to shift your hopes and solutions committee? For example, if council meetings were on Tuesdays, do you no longer want to meet on a Tuesday or another day of the week instead? I know that's a lot to consider, but wanted to have a conversation at least in advance. Uh, okay. Available for any questions. Pardon me? Available for any questions. Okay, great. Are there any questions? So if we met quarterly, would we probably block off maybe an hour and a half versus an hour, I'm guessing? Absolutely. We could have a, a longer meeting, particularly um, because a lot of these are long range or bigger items. We would have materials for you to review and discuss on some of these bigger program items that may warrant a longer meeting but more discussion. So instead of more frequent one-hour meetings, maybe once a quarter, maybe a little bit longer meeting to discuss some of these programs. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. And, uh, Madam Clerk, there's no public comments on this one. So. On item four, we have one speaker, Judy okay. Alexander. Great. Thank you. We're on four I, still. I stand corrected. We have one speaker, Kathy Paulson. Okay, great. Thank you. Kathy, thank you. So, I know you guys all have a very busy schedule. Let me stand over here so you can hear. Everybody has a really busy schedule, in particular, everybody here. Um, and Leona does a tremendous amount of work to prepare for this, and the rest of you, too, for, to prepare for this uh, meeting. However, I don't think quarterly is enough because your attention is drawn away and I think once a month you need, the, the three of you need to re be reminded, oh, I need to pay attention to this. And I think that the community needs to have that attention paid. Thank you. Any more speakers? We have one more, Elizabeth Stone. Elizabeth, okay. Yeah. Good afternoon. My um, name's Elizabeth Stone. Part of the work that I do is um, a grant that's a $95,000 a year grant that's funded by the Continuum of Care to represent the voices of people that are currently unhoused or at risk of homelessness. There's kind of across the county, um, there's this tendency to be focusing on efficiency and um, precluding the voices of people who are most directly affected and there's this kind of loss of democracy. And I know a number of people have been very frustrated about the very formal structure this meeting has taken, that it's no longer kind of this community discussion and we don't get to really have a back and forth and input. Um, I know I sit on the executive committee of the Behavioral Health Advisory Board. We kind of go back and forth as public comment when the item's introduced or after we hear what other people are saying so public can weigh in on what they hear is the discussion going on. So again, it's kind of frustrating. There's just kind of elements here that are um, multiple people are feeling 
kind of silenced and not really participating in the discussion. So I really echo the concern about having quarterly meetings. Um, we've had these, I mean, here, we're over an hour already, and we're not even, you know, we still have law enforcement waiting that needs to get back on the street, you know? Um, so we already know that monthly one-hour meetings are insufficient. So um, I kind of hear what the staff is saying. I mean, I've kind of pushed back on some of these things about minutes even not really being as detailed as one might, I would like to see. Um, so I'm... I'm really kind of hesitant. You know, I looked through that long list of things, and that I'm watching the time. I looked at the long list of things that you guys are working on, and it's so vague. It, it was kind of disturbing um, that I see a management analyst did it, so I'm not kind of, you know, it's hard to know really how much time things are taking. And some things are just like forms you do repetitively. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know. I'm not really sure what the impetus is, but for me, it feels like this kind of continuation of, we just got to do our work, public be damned, like we're just doing our thing. So thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Okay, with that, uh, questions and comments from my colleagues. What's your pleasure? Perhaps we should meet every month still, but devote every quarter a meeting fully to the staff meet every month in quarterly do what I'm sorry so every month have our meeting as we do yeah but then each quarter set aside one of those meetings <coughs> for the staff input completely focused on staff mm. then the public would have an opportunity to speak each month in between and wouldn't be um, as busy with other things. The, the entire quarterly meeting would be devoted to staff time. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I, um, I just want to let you know, living in this world, I, I don't need to be reminded uh, <laughs> about these things. Um, but um, I, you know, I hear what Ms. Ayer is saying in regards to, um, we, we have some big items that we're dealing with. And, we're not going to have the information on a monthly basis to, to address those items. It, it makes sense to meet quarterly. And, 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 you know, I think we just make the meetings longer. You guys will have, everybody in here will have their voice. I, you know, don't forget, we're, you can reach us by email, too. Like, we, we're available to, to hear whatever your concerns are in between meetings. And, and, gosh, it looks like we have a city council meeting every week, so please feel free to come and share at the city council meetings, too, because then you got seven people listening to you versus just the three that are sitting here. But, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm good with, uh, with quarterly meetings because of, of the meet, all the, the, the heavy items that we're discussing. Yeah. So I, I would make a recommendation to meet quarterly. Okay, and that's the motion? Yes. Okay. Um, is there a second? I want to say that um, I agree with a lot of what you just said. I think that uh, we're available at any time to go ahead and for phone calls, for emails. Um, uh, it, it may allow us more time to participate on some of the committees that you all sit on and, and run as well. Um, because right now, it's pretty encumbering. Um, it looks like we had six city council meetings in a row, and I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. Um, 
I also hear what Elizabeth said too. I, my nature is typically much more informal. Um, still controlled, but informal. Uh, I appreciate and like to hear from the people who take time to be here. And so I would like to consider that sort of thing, but you, t you, tend, you t depend on who's chair of this committee next year at this point. Uh, I'd have one more meeting. Um, but that is my nature typically, is to hear from the public more. I think that um, given what I just said, we can always call for uh, an emergency meeting. I think uh, quarterly would be acceptable. Um, my other thought was every other month, because one seems like it's too soon and the other seems too far. <laughs> so um, perhaps we can consider uh, every other month instead. Would, would it be okay if I um, maybe add some additional context? So these housing element programs, and I want to be clear, this is very different than years previously. The, the six-cycle housing element has a significant amount of programs to be implemented, and the whole nexus of what the state is doing with this housing element cycle is to remove governmental constraints and barriers to housing development and to add additional programs to support the unsheltered and support affordable housing. These, these are programs that the city has never developed before and are things that are gonna require code amendments and a lot of discussions with the community. It, a lot of these items are going to be additional public meetings, not he, public hearings, but workshops, informal conversations, stakeholder meetings. Our, our desire here is the trade-off of allowing the additional staff tiding, timing to do some of those other more, as the uh, public speaker said, informal conversations that are needed in developing programs the city has never done before. We absolutely want to use this forum as a check-in and a sounding board with the subcommittee of city council, but we also want to allow for the additional timing for the workshops and the informal stakeholder meetings and conversations that need to happen in the development of these other programs. And so uh, the, the nexus was to find the balance here that we could allow the, the time and staffing resources to do all of those other things and provide meaningful updates and key junctures where this subcommittee weighed in on those programs and initiatives that we are developing. A, a, a quarterly meeting may seem not, may seem long, but in the reality of developing these programs, it's going to go very quickly, and um, within three months, it, some of this stuff is going to take that or longer to develop, and that's where the, the quarterly um, thought process came in, just for additional context on, on that. So this is absolutely not the only forum. These things are going to be discussed. There will be many, many others. A lot of things will have to go to planning commission, will have to go to city council. We're also available at any time if, if uh, community members want to talk to us about any of these things. Okay. You, you know, I was thinking on, this, on those comments. If we met, um, if we met quarterly, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm almost thinking that we, we don't set a, a time, we, or maybe we, we, it's like a couple of hours just based on what we're gonna be presented. Um, but you know, the other thing too is if we realize that, oh, I don't know what, an hour and a half, two hours has gone by and there's still a lot more to discuss, that we just call another meeting the following month and, and, and put another meeting in there, because we could always do that. 
Is it appropriate for me to ask all of you that attended, would you prefer seeing this meeting monthly or quarterly? Maybe, is that appropriate? I, I'm sorry, Chair, it's, in the context of this, it's not necessary, if there's, you wanna open up the public hearing and ask for additional public comment, absolutely. Um, I think that would be appropriate if you guys choose to do, do so. But we've closed the public hearing. It's difficult. Well, just because some people that really want to go quarter, we don't want to, don't want to say. Don't want to say it. Okay. <laughs> uh, please. So, if we decide to do quarterly meetings, could you uh, agree to invite all of us, whether we can attend or not, or may attend, or not? invite all of us to all of the stakeholder meetings and other meetings? Absolutely, so we'll inform you. We'll be available for the public who comes? Yes, and, and those the public engagement around each of these programs is going to look different, um, to, given the nature of it. Tenant protections is a work pro program for 2024. That is a huge lift for this division to do and is gonna have a variety of different meetings. We'll absolutely let this subcommittee know um, when those kind of meetings or workshops or items are available, and there may be a variety of different ones depending on, you know, um, some of these topics are also very controversial and have a dividing of opinions on either side, and we want to create safe spaces for those conversations to happen. We're trying to be proactive and conscious about the time that's going to be needed to do some of these very big items. Understood. Thank you. Okay. Okay, so there's a, a motion on the floor for quarterly. I, Is there a second? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I'll second that. Okay. Um, with that, uh, all in favor say aye. 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 Oh. If I could interject, is that also to include changing the December meeting to uh, December 19th? Uh, make her a motion? Is that yeah, I, 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 can I include that in the motion then? If you yeah. wish to, yeah. yes. You okay yes. with that, Liz? Yes. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So, uh, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Uh, nay. So, uh, uh, the motion passes. Motion passes. Thank you. Okay. All right. Next is item number five: uh, homeless gaps and needs assessment. Uh, we have a report from staff, Leona. Yes. Um, so. Um, based on the uh, request for future agenda items, one of the items that the subcommittee wanted us to bring forward was an update regarding the homeless gaps and needs assessment. As indicated in the staff report, there was a face subcommittee event earlier this year hosted by the Ventura Social Services Task Force where we discussed a number of different gaps and needs um, for people experiencing sheltered as well as unsheltered homelessness. So a couple of those different gaps include like issues such as like dumping stations, the foul weather shelter program, laundry loves, the safe sleep program, of course, as well as storage units for people experiencing unsheltered homelessness. And within the staff report, we provided um, updates uh, regarding dumping stations, currently where that's at. So it does seem as though there are some limitations with our wastewater plant and, and them accepting, you know, waste from recreational vehicles. So we are gonna be looking into a potential, um, like a dump station on wheels, I wouldn't say, um, as a potential option for the foul weather shelter program, we have discussed it. We did provide an update about Laundry Love Services, about Portland Lose, but one thing that the 
the housing services team really wanted to focus on was our safe sleep program. And we did hear a public comment earlier about the safe sleep program and how it's being underutilized. And various counties throughout the state also have safe sleep or sleep parking programs. However, our current program does have a lot of barriers. And one thing we want to ensure is that for someone who's experiencing unsheltered homelessness, residing in their personal or recreational vehicles, that we reduce or eliminate those barriers to make the program you know, inviting for all. Because one thing about the Salvation Army, they're not just working with these faith-based organizations to provide them with a parking space. It includes case management services, it also includes you know, working with them and getting them on the path to not only interim sheltering, but also to pass to permanent housing, however they may see fit. So in comparison to one of the most popular programs in the city of Los Angeles, they only have one requirement, and that requirement is that you have an operable vehicle. So we wanted the subcommittee to take that into consideration, as well as the other different homeless gaps and needs, so that they can then let us know um, what initiatives would they like to support and recommend for potential funding options. Okay. Great, thank you. Is there, are there any questions from my colleagues? Thank you. Is, are there any public comments, Madam Clerk? We, we have one speaker, Judy Alexander. Do you ever feel like I'm a broken record? <laughs> Sometimes I do. Anyway, I want to thank staff. Thank you, Leona, for the work that you've been doing on the GAP needs. It's very much appreciated. The Faith Subcommittee, when we met this past month, um, highlighted some areas that are of great concern. And some of that has to do with both public safety as well as the safety of the unhoused person. The dump station is an example that affects the health of the community. When you dump on a street, the same thing with having adequate port and loose or other kinds of facilities that are available 24 seven, that's a health issue for the community, not just meeting a need of those who are unhoused. But very specifically, one of the things that's coming up more and more with the unhoused, in addition to those things that was on the gap needs, is people keep losing their documents. I don't know about you, but I lose them at home. And I have a file system and a computer system, and I can still lose them. When they get stolen, when they're available, when they're rumpled up in a duffel bag or whatever, there needs to be a planned storage for people to safely store their documents, their birth certificate, their social security, their ID. So we're not filling out requests for the same ID 10 times. We need to have storage. We need the storage for people, I don't know about you, but people don't like seeing people with the, carrying all the plastic bags and everything around. That's an issue for our community. We have no place for somebody to put their things. We have no place for them to lock them. We have no place where they can go, check their belongings, take them out, maybe even get another place for a shower or go to the bathroom, get dressed for a job, or for something else. We have no storage that could also become a center for long-term 
care for that person. So as we're thinking, those are community needs as well as needs for those that are unhoused. So as we look at that, San Diego and some other cities have some wonderful storage programs. They may cost, they'll take time, they're public health issues. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Are there any other speakers? No more speakers. No, that was it. Okay, any comments, questions from my colleagues? There's no vote on this item. It's just whether or not uh, there's something we want to ask for funding for. At this point, I know we have a goal setting in January as well. I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Uh, there's no vote needed on this item. Mm -hmm. Correct. You could, uh, if you wish, on the second bullet, um, make a recommendation and make a motion on that, but it's not required. Got it. It was a receive and file. Just receive and file, okay. Good, everybody good? All right, so we received and file. Thank you very much. Okay, next. We have three, three informal items. Uh, that means that's, that's no vote going to be taken. The subcommittee will only receive an update. First, we have an update from the uh, Housing Authority, uh, the Housing Authority of the City of San Buenaventura. Leona, would you like to introduce? Thank you. Yes. Um, I would like to introduce the Chief Executive Officer, Jeff Lambert, um, from the Housing Authority. Hi, everybody. I, are we going to put the presentation up? We're turning it on. Okay. I'll jump in. I, I, think I, I think I have it memorized. Um, so good to have you all, to see you all here. Jeff Lambert, as Leona said, uh, CEO of the Housing Authority, uh, in the beginning of my third month, I think. So I don't know everything, but uh, it's been a great run so far. Um, a couple, I wanted to just remind you that we are a partner with the city. Uh, we, we see you as a, really a key part of our success in the community. Obviously, you created us almost 75 years ago. Uh, in 1949, the city council created the Housing Authority of the City of San Buenaventura. It's a mouthful, uh, but it does show how we're tied to, to this organization. Um, we, I, I do have my own board. Um, uh, you appoint my bosses, so I appreciate your thoughtful appointment process going forward. Um, what's nice about our board is that two of our board members of the seven are residents of the Housing Authority, and that really is a great way of making sure that we have a voice of our residents participating in our governance, and that's a great uh, uh, benefit of our organization. Um, we, we sort of have several components of what we do. Um, one is, I'm not sure, I'll, I'll try to keep going. One of them is obviously that we have a public housing program where we have housing that we, that's federally uh, funded and, and administered that we run here locally. Uh, we also have our housing choice vouchers or a section eight program that allows us to uh, provide a vouchers to folks who are eligible. Uh, we never have enough vouchers or enough funding to pay for the vouchers, but we give those vouchers to folks that allow them to use it on our property as well as in the private uh, sector where we pay landlords. And I I think right now we're at a monthly uh, payment to landlords in Ventura County, excuse me, in Ventura City of about $1.8 million that we pay directly to landlords who are housing the folks that have those vouchers. Um, we also, as, as you know, have been in the development business lately, uh, and Karen Flock and, and Kyler here are our development team. Uh, we have others as well that uh, we've been growing the supply of affordable housing in Ventura over the last several years, and we will continue to do that. Our board has been very clear that that shift 
to expanding the capacity of affordable housing is important and something that we're going to continue to do and look for funding sources to do that. Um, and, and then the, I think the fourth thing that we don't often talk about is that we actually are a community partner. Uh, we have a significant amount of community resources that we provide to our residents. We have resident coordinators that provide resources with our community partners like Food Share and others like that, uh, Salvation Army, but we also have case managers that are on our staff. We've grown that community services division or department quite a bit over the last several years because we realize that we're not just in the business of housing people who are low income, we're in the business of helping people move beyond poverty. And the way we do that is by providing those kind of services. Uh, we also, uh, part of the presentation has some great visuals of some of the projects that we've built. There we go, look at that. Um, do I have control of this or to somebody else? You don't, just let us know. <laughs> Lee's in charge? <laughs> you wanna, you wanna set it down or? Okay. Let me get this out of here, let me get this out of I just messed you up, sorry. Oops. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Kyler. <laughs> You're lucky I talk fast. We'll get through it faster anyway, so. Uh -oh. I think you might have pushed the wrong button. Oh. <laughs> <Nope. Doesn't say>. <laughs> <laughs> there, oh, I think that's it. Does that work? You just had to walk up here, Netta. That's all, it's just personality coming up, it's great. Um, I, I covered this originally, but obviously I, I, I'll jump through that. So this is our board of directors. The two on the right, Catherine and Barbara, are our resident board of director members um, that really help give that voice to our decision making. And I talked about our four sort of services. I just got to the last one, community services, and I'll talk about each of these in a little bit more detail. Uh, obviously public housing is the history of our organization, and that's really housing that's uh, uh, for folks who can pay 30% of their income towards rent and it's subsidized by, by HUD and they provide operating and capital funds to keep those units going. Um, uh, I love this picture. This is of the, our Westview Village project. Um, a great old historic photograph of what it looked like back in 1949. Um, and this is what it looks like today. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit later about the details of the renovation that we've done at that property and we're not quite done. Uh, so this is a great before and after, just putting the two on the same screen, what it used to look like and what it's looking like today. Um, and I mentioned the Housing Choice Vouchers or a Section 8 program. This is all kinds of vouchers and they're usually separated by the kinds of folks that they're serving. Um, but this is where, uh, and actually the number I think now is up to 1.8 million that we pay uh, to landlords here. And we use those vouchers to really help not only provide individual vouchers or tenant-based vouchers where that person can take it anywhere that a landlord will, will um, house them, but we also use those to fund our projects as well. They become sort of pro project-based vouchers and they're a way of, for us 
us to finance the ongoing operation of projects that we build uh, in the community. Uh, so speaking of building, we, we, we own a lot of projects. I think we're the largest uh, residential landlord in, in the city of Ventura, uh, but we've built several recently that I think are really exciting to talk about. Um, I like the one that's kind of up, up in the middle with the arches. It's, I think, my favorite. Um, I'm biased, I, I'll fully admit. Uh, I was a director at the city when this property was one of our worst landlord nightmares. Um, in fact, the city was actually going through the process five years ago to, to take this property away from the landlord. Uh, we, we were really ready to go to court to do that, and my predecessor, Denise Wise, called me and said, can you pause? We might want to try to buy it. Um, and the Housing Authority bought that property, and it, You've seen the transformation of that property from what it was before. We literally have tenants that lived in a 90 square foot closet where the bathroom that maybe worked, mostly didn't work down the hall, who, have, who moved out while we did renovations and now living in a, a studio apartment uh, with its own kitchen and bathroom and really a beautiful transformation. So we're really changing lives with that property. On the right is, the, is the, our property, Westview, which I'll talk about in, down below. But the, the El Porto is another one excuse me, the Willett Ranch is another one where we uh, actually were able to house seniors on the avenue. And we've begun to, in our, in our housing developments, um, set aside specific units for those who are previously unhoused. So it's a perfect uh, conversation for this group. And then I, I, li I like the figure that we've invested just on these pr three projects alone, uh, over two, $200 million in the city of Ventura to make these pro projects happen. A couple others that I th I'm sure you know about, Chapel Lane out in the Satakoy community, um, we're actually about to add air conditioning because when this was built many years ago, we didn't think we needed air conditioning in, in, the, in the community. We do now, so we're about to start a project to add air conditioning and solar. On the far right, Casillo del Sol in the Midtown community for a very specific population, those with special needs and formerly homeless, um, which was opened several years ago. And the one in the middle is one specifically for farm worker families. Um, hard sometimes to house, um, but it's been a really great addition to our portfolio. Um, we also, when we do our projects, we, we try to do them in the most sustainable way possible with solar panels, community gardens. We have uh, gardens for our, our residents to grow their own vegetables, and we're really proud of the energy efficiency and lead certification of many of our projects. Uh, this is one that you might have heard about recently. Um, so we um, have the honor of receiving a $32 million home key grant from the state of California. Uh, we are in the process of buying the La Quinta Hotel on Valentine and Victoria. Uh, this is, I, I like to say, this is a partnership that we have with the city of Ventura, thank you for your funding, uh, and the county of Ventura for their funding, uh, and all of our community partners. This is not a housing authority project, this is a community project to try to solve or significantly address an issue that we've all struggled with for many, many years. Uh, the, the challenge for us now is now that we have the award, we have 15 months to close escrow on the property, we don't own it yet, uh, remodel these units to add kitchenettes so that they become independent units, studio apartments, um, and occupy it to, I said 95 today and Karen said 100. So by the end of next year, this project will be fully occupied. So we have our, a lot to do. We had a great meeting with the city staff th earlier today to talk about what that looks like. And, and we'll be working with other, other folks to make that happen. We're really proud of this. This is a big deal for our community and we're happy to be part of it. 
Um, I talked about community service. This is something that we spend a lot of time with, trying to find partners that we can continue to bring to our residents to give our residents the opportunity to continue to evolve uh, in their lives beyond uh, where they are today. We have two programs funded by the federal government, the Family Self-Sufficiency Program and the Resident Opportunities and Self-Sufficiency Program. Leave it to HUD to have lots of, lots of initials around their programs. But we have two full-time staff. Their entire job is to work with our residents to help them become self-sufficient in their lives. And we're really proud of this program and the impact it's having uh, on our community. I, I, this is, I think this is actually my favorite slide of everything in this show because it really shows our partners. We could not do this without all of our partners, including the folks sitting in this room with the city, city of Ventura. Um, we, we love the Ventura Police Department, not just because they're, oh, they're not here. I can't talk about them, they're not here. Um, but they've been a great partner as well as all the other partners. So it's been a really great pleasure um, to see these folks work together. Um, uh, this coming Saturday, we have a fundraiser. We have a great scholarship program, and we're having a haunted run. So it's still time to sign up if you want to put on a costume and, and run or, or walk, as I'll be doing on Saturday, to help raise money for our scholarship program and, and, and to continue that work. I'll just skip through these pretty quickly. You all know what, the, what, what it means to be a, a affordable housing uh, uh, resident in the city, what it takes uh, to make an hourly rate to afford an apartment in Ventura, and this is exactly the reason that we're here, to continue to expl exp ex uh, ex expand the capacity of units in Ventura. Um, as, as you know, uh, we're a very un unaffordable place to live. Um, the amount of people still waiting um, to, to get into our housing is pretty incredible. Uh, these are kind of facts that you all have. Happy to share this with you uh, as I wrap up. But I think this is a really interesting slide. We have a waiting list, as you know. Um, our overall waiting list, we have multiple waiting lists based on the population that we're serving, but we have over 15,000 people on our waiting list. We are now housing people that joined the waiting list 13 years ago uh, in 2009. That's, that's the challenge we have ahead of us. Uh, we are really working hard to expand that capacity and I also say we're also working hard to uh, get more landlords to see the value of having a Section 8 voucher tenant and working hard to help help expand the, the amount of landlords that are willing to do that. One of the challenges with Section 8 is, because you might have heard this in the paper, that we have vouchers that are not being used. What that means is HUD gives us a Section 8 in two, two forms, the number of vouchers and the amount of money to pay the subsidy. And oftentimes, because we're an expensive community, we can't use all the vouchers because we've run out of money to pay the subsidy. So if we have vouchers unused, it's because we don't have the funding to go with them. Um, I'm actually flying to Washington tomorrow. I'm sure I can fix that before I come back on Friday um, to get more money in, into our coffers. I, I'm kidding. I hope you know that. Um, uh, but I, I, I thought it was interesting just to look at our, our, the people that are on our waiting list, how many, what the percentage of female heads of households, the amount of, you know, the age difference and the amount of those that are Hispanic. Um, so I'll end with that because I know you're running out of time, but I wanted to take this opportunity to really help you understand and the public to understand who we are as a partner, what we do in this community, and we will continue to be a partner with the city and everybody else in the city of Ventura. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, uh, Madam Clerk, are there any public comments on this? I have no public comments. Okay. Uh, questions or comments? From I, I just wanted to say um, thank you so much for for all of you at the Housing Authority. You you do an amazing job, and we are we are blessed to be in partnership with you. And just I just want to say thanks. Yeah. Campos, you okay? Okay. I, I, Mr. Lambert, I just want to also say that, and I see Karen here, here as well, that um, 
My, I'm absolutely in awe and have so much respect for everything that you guys are doing because I got to tell you, there was a time that we used to have an allocation system in the city where I think the amount of building of homes that you're, you're doing now just as a housing authority or renovating of homes is greater than what we used to allow for the whole city for many years. So, and you're doing it all, you know, for affordable uh, people, make them affordable to people and stuff. So it's really pretty amazing, uh, the success that you've had and what you've done for our community. So thank you. Okay. May I have a question? Uh, and question? I, I would like to congratulate the Housing Authority on the choice of Mr. Lambert. There's no better person to follow Ms. Wise in the building of housing, so thank you. Yeah, yeah, I guess I had a, a quick question in regards to these new units that are being built in our city that have inclusionary housing. The um, 15, like the 15%, whatever, whatever they are. Who determines who moves into those? Do, is that a... So that's a collaboration between the city of Ventura and the housing authority. So essentially, um, once a housing developer um, has designated a certain number of units to be inclusionary units, for you know, families and individuals that are of lower income statuses. Um, they start marketing those units, we do a lottery for those units, and then based on that particular lottery, a certain number of applicants are selected, they apply for those units, and once they are approved, they are able to move into those brand new units. So just help me process this. So they fill out an application, the application goes to? The housing, the, either the developer or their management company. And then they go from there, they go to? So, okay, so this are, um, just to back up a little bit. So the housing developer or their, the, the property owner will then market the units. We will work, they will work with the city and the housing authority to create a lottery. Once so we have like a wait list, we have the lottery, it takes a place, it only takes a couple minutes, just like the California lottery. And then once that is established, those selected individuals and families submit an application to the landlord or the property owner. And then once they are approved, they're able to move into those inclusionary units. Okay. So the very first step for somebody who is low income, they, the, they go where to? I would highly recommend that they reach out to the housing services division first. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Great. Thank you very much. Okay. Our next item is um, uh, Mercy House. And Leona, would you like to introduce the presenter? And before I um, introduce Mercy House, um, the patrol task force will have to be continued until next month because there was an, is um, an issue that Sergeant Vasquez had to deal with. And um, Mercy House will, um, update will be presented by program manager Amanda Cruz. And I do apologize for that. I think next time when I see that they're able to make it here, I will go straight to them after we do our, our minutes. Okay, thank you. Okay. Hello, everyone. Can you hear me? Hello, everyone. My name is Amanda Cruz. I'm the program manager. There you go. Okay. Hello. Okay. I'm the program manager for Mercy House, the Arch. Um, I'm here with, all, with you today to give you a quick update um, at the Arch Shelter. We are currently serving 54 guests, leaving us with one open PD bed, which is a female top bunk. Um, we did recently host a fall hygiene and resource fair at the Arch. The fall hygiene drive and resource fair was an opportunity to get Ventura County community um, involved in our mission. We hosted nine agencies at Arch Shelter 
collected over 500 hygiene items ranging from disposable razors, toothbrushes, toothpaste, deodorants, and that was distributed to all three shelters in Ventura County for Mercy House. Um, we do receive Procter and Gamble um, paper products. Um, lastly, we did receive a Yardie grant, which was um, able to cover expenses for a new shuttle, um, shuttle bus for the Arch shelter. Um, we have ad adapted partnerships with Turning Point Foundation. Um, they do conduct wellness groups weekly on site for our guests. Um, we are currently actively working with guests and participating in the CIC monthly um, meetings. We are in the process of collaborating more with Ventura County Behavior Health Services to help process, um, process, um, process mental health services for our guests to connect um, with while they're in shelter. And our housing update, um, July 23rd to current, which is our fiscal year, we have 20 folks prioritized through the continuum, continuum of care. We have five voucher holders currently. Um, and we were just granted HAP um, grant to assist with housing needs um, for our folks um, on site. Does anyone have any questions? Great. Colleagues, do you have any questions? Dolores, do you know? Oh, it's number four. Number four. Miss <laughs> um, Campos? So you said you have 54 beds occupied? Yes. That means I have one bed one, is available? One female bed open. So if a person is mobility impaired and can't climb onto a top bunk, is is the bed available to them or is it? No, if they're not able to climb on top of the top bunk, we would um, call back and reprioritize when we do have availability or we would um, refer them to another partner agency that would be able to assist. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Great. Amanda Cruz. Thank you very much. Appreciate you taking time and being here. Are there any public comments? I have no speaker cards for this. Okay, great. Uh, any further questions or comments from my colleagues? See none. Um, next. Uh, I thought we had a third Future one. agenda items. I'm sorry? Future agenda items. Yeah, because the control task force was the third. Oh, okay. So, so um, okay. Future items, okay, on the agenda. Uh, do you have any future items that any of you would like to put on the agenda? I, I would like to make sure that we move the patrol task force up to the front yeah. of the meeting, even before staff, because we haven't had a report for them from them recently, and they've come to a couple meetings and had to bolt. Thank you. Great, thank you. Uh, Councilmember Grand, do you have any? Anything you'd like to add? No, thank you. Okay. And if any of you, if you could talk to me after the words, otherwise I have to open up public comment again. <laughs> so, um, actually, I didn't have, can I have public comment on this one? The, on the items for future agenda items? Yeah. There's no public comments. Oh, okay. Then come see me afterwards, please. Okay. All right. Um, next is uh, staff communications. We have none. Great, thank you, Leona. Thank you, staff, for being here, and thank all of you for being here. And uh, I'll make sure. Committee communications. 
Oh, committee communications, go ahead. Yeah, I have something I wanna say. I realize it's late, but regarding our earlier agenda item, I wanted to make sure we focused on the population. But for everybody, I want them to understand where I come from when I voted no on that item is because I don't own a vehicle and I have come to city council meetings with the sun shining and gone home in the rain. And it takes about 18 minutes for me to roll from Main and the Avenue to where I live. And in 18 minutes in pouring rain, I am so soaking wet that it takes me two days to feel dried out. And that's why the amount of rain falling and the cold makes a huge difference. So that, that was the basis for my vote. Thank you for listening. Councilmember Duran, do you have anything else to add? No, thank you. Okay, I want to thank everyone for being here today. I'm sorry we went over, and this is a high priority for me as chair of this committee and as a council member. Housing is by far our state's number one problem and our city's number one problem. Everything else, it pales in comparison. So I will always be focused on how we could create a balance of housing that helps all of, all of, all of our citizens in this community. And so thank you again for being here, and I do apologize we went so far over. It's the first time that's happened, so thank you for bearing with me. Have a great evening.